0: Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast. We are live here on YouTube. And today's question of the day, what niche are you considering in your real estate business? Let me know in the comments below, uh, or feel free to jump on the YouTube channel if you are listening on the podcast and let us know in the comments after uh, we we are no longer live anymore. Andy, what's going on, man? How you doing? uh, Oh, you you (laughs) you were muted. Sorry about that.
1: Hey Tyler can you hear me now
0: yeah we can hear you now
1: hey Tyler I'm glad to be here today excited to flip the script a little bit interview you a little bit that's uh, that's always one of the more fun things that we get to do here on Tuesday so you get to answer my questions this time
0: that's right yeah this will this will be fun I, I always love these because it's it's easy and it's off the cuff and uh, it's always a good conversation and honestly these are questions that I get asked by y'all all the time. Um, if you're, if you're listening on the podcast, um, or if you're watching this YouTube video right now, I do one 15 minute call a week with anybody that wants to reach out and schedule a call with me. Um, so you're welcome to always go on and do that and ask your questions again, uh, 15 minutes, just go to calendly.com slash Tyler Cobble. I actually had a call with somebody today talking about requests for proposals and how letters of intent work. So it was a great little call. I love doing that and giving back to you guys. So anytime you'll want to do that, you're more than welcome to but I get asked questions all the time. And so Andy and I figured it'd be good for us to do uh, a little recording so that we could also share those with everybody else that likely have those questions. So today, what are we talking about, Andy? We're gonna talk about
1: niching or niching or however you choose to say it, right? The reaches are in the niches as they the the reaches, (laughs) the reaches exactly the reaches pieces. So When you're in commercial real estate or any really business, you want to try to pick out a focus and focusing on one sector or one segment is going to really allow you to become an expert at that segment and essentially set yourself apart from the competition, right? And that's the important thing. When you're in a competitive business like real estate, you're going to try to find something that makes you distinctive, that makes people think, hey, when I think of industrial real estate in Austin I want to go to this guy when I think of apartments in Dallas I want to go to this guy when I think of East Nashville real estate here in Music City I want to go to Tyler Cobb right so that's the kind of branding that learning to have a niche in real estate can really provide you lots of dividends down the road
0: that's exactly right. And it makes it so much easier for people to remember you I actually had a it's funny, the timing, right? Had a coffee meeting today with a buddy of mine from high school, who is in insurance. And he he uh, sat down with me and was like, Look, I, I just want you to know that I am focused 100% on multifamily insurance, I just want to do insurance for multifamily investors. And so I said, Wow, that's great. I've actually never had an insurance agent sit me down and tell me all they want to do is focused on multifamily insurance. So now whenever I have a client or a buddy that's going through insuring or buying a multifamily property, I'm going to immediately think of him, right? And so it's it's so much better to, to have a niche that helps you stand out in the industry than it is to be a jack of all trades, right? Because you think about how many other real estate investors are out there, how many other real estate brokers, developers, you know, uh, engineers, architects doesn't matter, you name it, there are tons of them. I mean, in Nashville alone, there's over 12,000 residential real estate agents. If you're just a real estate agent, you know, it's gonna be really tough to brand yourself. But if you are the residential agent that focuses on high rise condos in the downtown core, you're you have a niche, and like everybody will think of you immediately. I mean, when we started looking at doing a luxury condo project in East Nashville, I knew the two or there were actually three teams that we ended up calling because I knew that they all branded themselves that way. I didn't have to do any research. I didn't have to go, you know, ask around. I knew right off the bat who they were because they have done such a phenomenal job niching down. And they also have worked on some of the biggest projects in town. So it's very easy for me to keep track of that. Uh, let me see here. Uh, Bryce is jumping in the live chat. Bryce says I work at Collier's in Toronto, not interested in industrial, but it seems to be what's making the money. I'm interested in apartments. Where do I start? What are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, industrial, (laughs) there's a lot of money in industrial. It's, it's very similar to multifamily in the sense that, uh, everybody sees it as a very safe, uh, investment right now because you know, it's, it's Amazon proof. In fact, it, it, directly correlates with the growth of e-commerce, right? So as e-commerce continues to grow, industrial will continue to grow. If you're wanting to get into apartments, um, I'll let Andy speak to this as well, because I know that he's got a pretty extensive background working with multifamily groups in Nashville. Um, You've gotta go to a, a multifamily specific team. That one even, like multifamily is its own niche within commercial real estate, right? So we'll talk about this a little bit more here in a bit, but we don't offer any multifamily services at my brokerage. We just don't. I've got a broker on my team who has a background in multifamily, and so he will do multifamily every now and then. But it's just it's not something that I do because there are oh, what'd you say, Andy? Like literally three multifamily teams in the state of Tennessee that handle ninety five percent of the business. It's pretty remarkable. Um top guys doing
1: all the business and you got to know them, you got to know their names and they're the ones who control everything because essentially the, the, and what we're going to get to talking about here in a second, when you are building out a brand for yourself like that, and let's, let's, you know, take the Cushman Wakefield guys or the Colliers guys or the CBRE guys, whoever they are, when we're talking about multifamily, they are reaching out and they have a pipeline of all of the big multifamily apartment owners in Nashville in the state of Tennessee and they're they're just running through them and they're following up on them, they're giving them the phone calls, they're taking them out to lunch, you know and that's that's what you have to do really uh, in the brokerage game specifically, it's as much as just relationship management as anything else. You want to stay top of mind for those guys so, when they think i need a broker who do i call i call this guy who i know has been diligently following up with me if he's going to diligently follow up with me and i'm not even selling anything how is he going to perform on my property when he's actually trying to sell it and he has money to earn he's probably going to do better so that's kind of the things that you want to be looking at so bryce i would say lobby hard uh, if you're working at collier's you already have some experience Lobby hard to figure out who are the top guys, sit down, interview with them, take them to coffee, take them to lunch, hopefully with, you know, your your, your shot. I guess you're up in Canada, so you guys are a little bit behind. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, take them to lunch, take them to coffee, and see if you can't work with them. See if you can't help them out. And I think that's, that's the best way you get to do it. You got to get in with a bigger team and then, hopefully carve out within there, you can carve out a specialty for yourself within that team. Then you could be, I'm the guy focusing on the class C apartment buildings in like the outskirts of Toronto. And you know, every single owner of every single apartment building in the outskirts of Toronto or the class A in the downtown core, right? You can do that kind of stuff. And that's what will really, a perfect segue into what we're gonna be talking about today, Tyler, is how do you get to choosing that And how do you figure out what it is you want to do? So I wanted to take us back a little bit to the start or the earlier parts of your career in brokerage, when you obviously didn't necessarily have a niche, a niche, a specialty, right? What were you exactly doing? And how did you transition to what you are now? You said, I wanted to focus on a certain location East Nashville. So how did you get from not knowing necessarily where you wanted to do what you wanted to do to finding that niche that you've landed on?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Bryce. Thanks again for that question. I will definitely make sure that like, as we go through this, uh, this show that I'll kind of answer uh, your question specifically within the context of the questions that Andy is asking, because it's, it's a very common question right? It's like, how do I get how do I break into the multifamily sector? How do I break into the industrial sector? Um, and, and I'll show you exactly how to do it. So when I first got started as a commercial real estate broker, seven and a half years ago, um, you st- I mean, you start off as a generalist, right? Well, okay, well, let, let me get let me uh, give a little more background here. So I got started off at a boutique development firm that owned office, retail, industrial and multifamily. So they actually had everything going in-house. And because of that, I I was fortunate enough to be surrounded by all different types of projects. And I highly recommend that for anybody that's new getting into the business because I, I was exposed to everything. Right and, and I got to work a little bit on everything. I got to work as a broker. I got to work as a project manager. I got to work as a property manager. I got to work on the investment side, on the development side. I mean, you name it. And uh, I got to kind of taste a little bit of, of everything. right? So because of that, I was able to really find out early on what I enjoyed and what I didn't enjoy. And, uh, you know, if you go join, you know, a, a CBRE or a Collier's, sometimes they will, they'll pigeonhole you and they'll say, you're going to be the single tenant net lease guy, or you're going to be the industrial tenant rep guy, or you are the office landlord rep, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. You can become, I mean, that's niching down, right? Like that you, they are giving you your niche. Um, and because of that, you can become the best in your market in that niche, which I think is is great. However, starting off, you don't know if office is what you want to do. You don't know that retail is what you want to do because you haven't really gotten to experience everything, right? And so, uh, for me at least, um, it was going out and and having the opportunity to to kind of taste test um, a few different projects that really helped me decide what I wanted to start doing. So I really started off as a generalist, right? When I was a broker. So I was working mostly on the landlord side because I started off for this group and they gave me several hundred thousand square feet of commercial space to, to lease. And that was, it was cool to learn the, the landlord side first, because I kind of saw how tenant rep was handled, right? I, I was not around tenant reps at all, but I saw how tenant reps handled the deals. So I kind of learned vicariously through them without having to be trained in tenant rep to be able to do that. Um, which, which, was, which was pretty cool. But I mean, my first, the first specialty that I had really ended up being small businesses. So what I found was, you know, look, I, I'm, I'm starting off at a boutique development firm, I'm not getting the training that I would get at a Collier's or a CBRE. And uh, but my splits were way better. Way, I mean, we're talking like 75 to 85% splits because I wasn't getting any support, right? I had to pay for everything myself. So because I was getting 85% splits on the deals that I was doing, I could do a half million dollar deal and get the same commission as a million dollar deal would get or more sometimes, right? Because these teams at CBRE end up having, um, you know, if you're at CBRE, you've got, like, you know, and I'm not picking on CBRE that it's just a very obvious example because they're the biggest team. Typically, your split is 50% with the house, right? And then you might have two or three people on a team. So then it gets split even further. So for those bigger teams to justify a project, they've got to take on a bigger project inherently, right? Like they've got to go do a $3 million deal for everybody to make as much money as I had to do on a half million dollar deal, which meant that there was a blue ocean in the smaller projects and I could make just as much money. So uh, that, that was the first niche that I ended up finding, uh, was just focusing on the smaller businesses. And I ended up loving it. We still do that to this day. Uh, we have a, a, a huge focus on micro units now because of that, because we can make them profitable. So Andy, I know that that's a very long-winded answer to your question, but that's pretty much how I got started.
1: No, that's very, that's fascinating, Tyler. And for those of you who aren't familiar, would you mind breaking out for those who aren't familiar some You mentioned tenant rep in there. What's the difference between tenant rep and landlord rep? What kind of things are different in the transaction when you're representing one group for the other?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So a tenant rep is a, a commercial real estate broker that is representing either a buyer or a tenant that is needing space. Right. So pretty much a buyer or a tenant. Um, that means that you are going out and you have the client in hand, which is great, right? Because you know, you're probably going to get a deal done unless they decide to back out for whatever reason. Um, But you have to go out and find the right property for them. So that means that you're going through LoopNet, you're putting together PDFs, you're calling brokers, you're doing market tours, you're spending a lot of time to do it. And, you know, really, the only assurance you have is that you've got the client signed up, and you know, they've got to land somewhere. So hopefully, you're going to get paid on the deal. The landlord rep represents either the seller or the owner of the real estate. So you're representing the actual property. And I, you know, you obviously don't know whenever somebody's coming through whether they're going to lease your space or not. You have no idea how many tours you'll have to go on in order for that to make sense. But I can also handle landlord rep deals from the beach, right? I don't have to go out and put together a site tour and spend, you know, eight hours in one day in a single day with a client going through all these different spaces and then trying to figure out which ones we're going to put letters of intent on. Um, so they're, they're very, they're very different, but that's, that's kind of the difference between a landlord rep and a a tenant rep.
1: Tyler, would you say what's easier to get started in doing those? Like I, I have an answer and I'm sure your answer is the same, but I would want to hear from you what you think.
0: Hands down, the easier way to get started is in tenant rep, because uh, it's it's a little more of a complicated process. But it's so easy to go find a small business that needs space. They are everywhere. And they also are typically unrepresented. Because again, like I was saying earlier, these bigger brokerage teams, they cannot justify bringing on somebody that needs to sign a $200,000 lease, right? But if you're if you're small and agile enough, you can you can go make, you know, six or $8,000 off of that one project, which starting off as a broker, it's a, it's a pretty good lick, right? So uh, tenant rep is definitely the easiest um, starting out, I would think.
1: So Tyler, what I'm kind of hearing from you is that maybe one of the best places to start for someone looking to get into commercial brokerage, especially might be tenant rep for small businesses, because these are going to be deals that other people aren't going to touch. The bigger guys aren't going to be able to touch them because they can't afford to spend their time on them because they simply don't have the split. So if you can land yourself at a more nimble brokerage, potentially you can have a more blue ocean or wide open opportunity, wide open field to get in and go after this potentially underserved clientele. Is that right?
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, look, if you're going if you're willing to to go and represent those clients and go knock on doors and make phone calls to, to listing brokers. I mean, you can you can get you can start getting deals done. I mean, almost immediately. When I started my commercial real estate brokerage, uh, back in February of 2018. I, I closed a deal the next week, because I had a tenant that needed to lease some office space. And so it made me feel so good about what we had going on. Because you know, of course, now, by the time I started my commercial real estate brokerage, I was in the business for four and a half years, right? So I mean, let's let's, you know, uh, give the caveat there. But I, I didn't have to go out and get a new listing under the cobble group. I mean, that takes time. The landlord has to trust you. I've got plenty of landlords today that I was pitching three years ago when I first started the company that were like, no, and they chose CBRE and they chose Cushman and Wakefield, and they chose callers over us because I was a small young guy that was starting a commercial real estate brokerage. Now we win listings over those guys all the time, because I have niched down. So I may not have the data that CBRE has or the, you know, the the numbers that Colliers or Cushman have, but we beat them out for deals because we know our market so well. So yeah, I think I think that pretty much answers your question there.
1: Absolutely. And I want to bring it in, too, for those of you who are maybe just interested on the investing side, because it's. we talk about this maybe in the realm or the vein of brokerage and niching down a brokerage, but I think some of the same lessons can be applied for investing, too, especially even from this, right? Potentially, small businesses are being underserved. It's hard to find space for Mm -hmm. them. Maybe a good thing for you guys to look at in your investing careers is providing space for small businesses, right? And that has come to be one of our main investment pieces. How do we support micro business or how do we create micro spaces for entrepreneurs, for startups to have spaces to launch their business? And I think that could be just as great an opportunity on that investing side, not just brokerage side. So. I'll try to bring in that insight as well, say, Hey, you know, we're not just talking about brokerage here, we're talking about investing as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's exactly why I wrote my book open for business. Um, I we had been working with small business owners for a couple of years, and they are unrepresented and people typically don't want to work with them. And so I saw them getting into trouble left and right. I mean, signing leases, they should never lease there uh, contracts, they should never have signed taking spaces they should never have taken. Uh, I mean, you, you name it, I've seen it happen to a small business. And so it's, it's an underserved market with a lot of potential. So yeah, absolutely, if you're, if you're getting started, whether you're looking to be a landlord and you've got commercial space um, or a broker uh, or an, you know, a developer, I mean, the opportunity for space that is specifically for small businesses is outstanding. It's outstanding. You can, you can get those leases signed fairly quickly usually, because I mean, think about it, they're signing two to $4,000 a month leases. That's a much easier decision to make. Um, Landlords, you've got smaller space. It's always easier to to lease smaller space than it is big space. And that's why in industrial, you'll see some of those buildings sit for a year, two years, three years sometimes before they'll find another tenant to take that property because it's so big and so specific. You've got to have that one whale that comes along. Uh, Whereas, you know, how many different businesses can sign a lease to take 500 square feet? I mean, 95% of them. So...
1: So Tyler, let's give it a little bit to talk about when you were starting your brokerage and you had been focusing mainly on these small businesses, what kind of made you also gain a geographic niche as well, right? Uh, Bruce, one of your partners, tends to call you uh, the mayor of East Nashville. So <laughs> that's, I wish that's, that's, your, that's the moniker that maybe uh, we'll keep repeating, maybe it will come true. So, Mr. (laughs) Mayor of East Nashville, how did you become such honorary mayor? Why did you choose that location as a launch point for that designation for you? As I really want to be known as the guy who takes care of East Nashville commercial real estate. And maybe before even we get into that, let's explain kind of a little bit about what East Nashville is, as well as a neighborhood, and give. Give our listeners some color to that as well.
0: Yeah, so East Nashville is just on the other side of the river um, from downtown. It's actually, you know what, let's let's just go ahead and show you guys where it is. Um so it is uh oh that's funny. Look at that. Hey, six point eight. See, there you go. That is good. When somebody types in East Nashville, I am on the first page. Right there. Neighborhood <laughs> the neighborhood guide to East Nashville. Um, actually, let's just click on that. Give myself some SEO. So East Nashville is this sector of Nashville right here. So this is downtown, actually, on the other side of the river, it's, it's obviously not showing here. Um, let me see. Okay, this is probably a better map. So you can see downtown is right here. Here's the river. And then here's East Nashville. So it's this historic neighborhood just on the other side of downtown that has been undergoing a revitalization for the last 20 years. Uh, But it hasn't been moving really fast, right? It's been slowly, steadily growing until the last five to seven years, I'd say really, really took off. Um, I grew up on the south side of Nashville. And so I never really got to experience East Nashville. It wasn't really a place that um, that you went growing up. I mean, the closest I ever got was the Titan Stadium, which is right here. So we'd get off the interstate and go to the Titan Stadium. That was about it. But East Nashville actually used to be the wealthiest side of town uh, back in the early 1900s before this massive fire. So um, I ended up um, joining a, a B&I group of all things. Right? This is funny, because my office was over off of West End, which is basically Midtown. So on the opposite side of downtown from East Nashville, joined a BNI group. And in that group, uh, there was a title agent, Brandon Miller, who is still a great buddy of mine to this day, just went to his birthday party the other day, actually. Um, He owns Wagon Wheel title, and they were based in East Nashville. And so I wanted to get to know him really well, because I don't know if you guys know this network with your title agents. They, I mean, they are the underworld of real estate. They know everything. They know everybody. Uh, they are great people to get in with. And so we were, I was uh, hanging out with him and he said, Hey, come over to East Nashville. Let's go grab drinks at this place called Crying Wolf. I was like, cool, man. I've never been to East Nashville. Like, let's check it out. And this was probably three, four years ago. Maybe, man, it might be four or five years ago now. And uh grabbed drinks at Crying Wolf and just immediately fell in love with with everything about it. I mean, it's just such a cool part of town. It has character. You know, a, a lot of people feel like Nashville has lost some of its character in certain neighborhoods. So, um, you know, ended up falling in love with it because of that. And so that's why I decided to niche down into a geographic location. I noticed that since it was a smaller part of town, uh, well, I mean, it's actually geographically, it's very big. But there's not a lot of development that has happened in the last 30 to 40 years in terms of massive commercial projects. So it's not like there's a 50,000 square foot tower over there that, that you know, somebody could go, be, go lease. It's a lot of, you know, single two, three story buildings. And because of that, you've got a lot of just, it's tough. It's, it's, there there's smaller projects to work on. So I realized that almost nobody was doing business on that side of town there were a handful and Chad grout was the original East Nashville broker. Um, he owns a commercial real estate brokerage and in East in uh, in Nashville. He's he's down in uh, Williamson County now for the most part, um, called urban grout. But he was the he was the one with the original vision for East Nashville. So he moved over there and started selling a bunch of projects. Um, but outside of Chad there, nobody else was really doing anything in the neighborhood. And so I saw I had read this book, which I highly recommend you guys read. Uh, it's called Blue Ocean. I mean, it's, it's a whole book on this entire topic, and it is phenomenal. I, I think I listened to it on Audible because I don't like reading, um, but it's, <laughs> a, it's an incredible book. Um, it talks about how, you know, the, the Red Ocean is where there's blood in the water. Everybody's fighting over, uh, you know, the carcasses that are there, right? And so to me, that was downtown, West End, Green Hills. I mean, everything south of Nashville, everybody was fighting over all of that. And I knew that, you know, knowing my advantages and my disadvantages, I wasn't going to be able to compete with all these guys that had been in the business for 15 years and that had specialized specifically in office towers in that, that you know, sector or retail in that sector, whatever it was. So uh, I decided to find my blue ocean and I've found many, I mean, you, you won't ever just have one niche. I mean, we'll talk about all the different niches that I have uh, throughout this show, but East Nashville wasn't, it was a perfect geographic niche. There were not, uh, at the time that I decided to become the East Nashville commercial real estate broker, there were not very many people, uh, if any, that I could find, actually, that had specialized in a niche uh, geographically like that. I mean, I picked a neighborhood. You know, Nashville has not historically been big enough to where you could just pick a neighborhood and work on it and make enough money doing it. You know, a lot of people would do Davidson County or they would do Williamson County or they would do Sumner County. And those are, those are huge swaths of land. Um, so to come in and pick a neighborhood was a, very, it was a very new thing for Nashville. And it was one of the best things that I could have done because everywhere I went, I was always hanging out in East Nashville. I w- you know, so I would run into people at the bars. I would run into them at the restaurants. I'd run into them shopping. Um, and then I joined the East Nashville Chamber. I joined the Historic East Nashville Merchants Association. So now I'm all over East Nashville. The best thing that actually ended up coming out of it, every listing that we got was another sign up in East Nashville, which meant that everybody driving those corridors would see my name. And then a few buildings down, they would see my name again. And then a few buildings down, they would see my name again. And I would get text messages all the time. Like, oh my gosh, you are all over this neighborhood. And I was like, yeah, that worked. It's perfect. It's working. And so it made me look like I was a much bigger, more established commercial real estate brokerage than I really was at the time. So I mean it was it was massive.
1: So what I'm hearing from you, Tyler, is that just like you found an underserved community in small business owners as you were working on that aspect of your niche, you also found another underserved community in the neighborhood location of East Nashville. Because people, as you said, maybe the big guys didn't want to go over there. Maybe there were some, you know, historical kind of connotations of, I don't want to go into East Nashville for, you know, there's a lot of different potential reasons that could be. And, you know, you said, hey, I'm willing to go out there and serve these people who are not currently being served. And for that, you know, you were rewarded. So I think the lesson, the big takeaway is there are, whichever city you're in, there are groups, there's probably even locations like East Nashville and Nashville was that aren't being served to the best of their ability that are being kind of forgotten about. Can you go in there and be the expert of that location? Right? And that's exactly what you did, Tyler.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's a, you know, there's so many different ways that you can choose a niche, right? You can be the office guy, you can be the retail guy, you can be the development guy, you can be the land guy, um, or girl. But you can also be the neighborhood person. You know what I mean? Like go be the East Nashville commercial real estate broker of your market. Um, You know, there's, there's so many different, you can be just the corporate guy. You can be just the small business guy. There's any number of ways. I mean, I know a group that all they do is dental brokerage. All they do is represent dentists, which is a great niche, right? Because then all of their prospecting is concentrated on one target group. They get to send all of their letters, all of their marketing, all of their ad dollars and spend, everything is on dentists. And, you know, it's, it's very easy to go sponsor a, a lunch where, you know, a dentist lunch or luncheon or whatever, um, sponsor the classes that they're taking, you know, when they're going through uh, the dental programs. I mean, there's any number of things that like once you start really narrowing in, it's kind of that inch, inch wide and a mile deep. It's the, the sniper approach as opposed to the shotgun. You become much more precise, and it's much easier to target that audience than it is to just like stand on your rooftop and yell at everybody that you do commercial real estate, right? Because nobody's going to remember that. Everybody knows somebody that does real estate. Everybody knows somebody that does real estate. Not everybody knows somebody that does only commercial real estate, or does only commercial real estate in East Nashville, or does only commercial real estate with small businesses in East Nashville, you know, I mean, there's so many different ways you can take that.
1: Absolutely, Tyler. And I want to highlight for those of you who aren't familiar, it's a pretty common practice, actually, to niche down geographically in residential commercial real estate, because you can really go in and dominate a neighborhood. You know, we have Frederick and Clark who dominate a lot of the higher end neighborhoods in 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 Nashville and Williamson County we you know someone who comes to mind is who built his name his original brand around a neighborhood was Mark Deutschman yeah who founded Village real estate which is founded around Hillsboro Village that's how he got started he was just selling everything within a mile of Hillsboro Village which is a yeah, little- his
0: book. His book is called one mile radius. So y'all, y'all should buy that too. I mean, he talks about the importance of community and and working within that one mile radius. Cause again, everyone knew him. He was the guy.
1: Exactly. So he was able to really build up that community of Hillsborough village. And if you guys come into Nashville now, you're going to think Hillsborough village and kind of the 12 South area kind of closely adjacent to that have al- might always have been popping and kind of the top and everyone wants to be there. It was not like that when I was growing up, you know, yeah. 10, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And, you know, he was a lot of the reason it has grown was because of someone like him. So that's more common in residential real estate. If you can have that niche in commercial real estate and really make a name for yourself that way, you might be the only guy as tyler said before the only person niching in commercial real estate to a geographic location you will be able to make a name for yourself and just like i brought up mark you know i haven't talked to him or i just read about him and i read his book and because he's associated that so strongly with his brand i can bring that up like and he doesn't even have to say anything. It's just me and Tyler talking about it here like this. And that's what the power of that can be, of choosing a niche can be, is that people can talk to talk about you and say, hey, I know if you're looking for commercial real estate, I know I saw that dude, he has all the blue and white signs up and down every property on Vickerson Pike. Oh, what's his name? Oh, it's Tyler. Let me give Tyler a call when I want to get something sold on East Nashville. And Tyler doesn't even have to be in the room because he's gotten into the minds of people and, you know, just become a memory that he's the first person that they think of when they think of East Nashville real estate.
0: Yeah. I mean, your brand can end up preceding you and it can go out and work for you if you're willing to build it. Right. I mean, I couldn't just move to East Nashville and say, Hey, I'm the East Nashville commercial real estate guy. And then all of a sudden it starts working. Right. I mean, it took, it took a solid year of, I mean, it was a year of me going around and telling everybody I ran into, I do commercial real estate in East Nashville. I do commercial real estate in East Nashville. It took a whole bunch of listings. It took a whole bunch of projects for everybody to start set, calling me the commercial real estate guy, right? Like I had to go out and tell them that was me for the longest time. And now everybody calls me that. And so the the brand ends up proceeding itself. And so now there's there's even other agents, other commercial brokers that will send me business because they don't know East Nashville and they don't wanna work over here. You know, maybe they do something down in Williamson County. Right so think about that. I mean it's it's so powerful that I get business from other commercial real estate brokers who most people would think would be my competition because they don't know the market as well and they know that I do. So that it it really it really works. And and from from an investment perspective. I mean let's take it from the investor side, right? Because we're talking a lot about the brokerage, but it it also holds true as a developer, as an investor. I mean there's a reason that the biggest real estate companies in the country, all have a very specific vein. I mean, we were talking about these healthcare REITs the other day, uh, yesterday on on the commercial real estate investor weekly update, which is our commercial real estate news show, we were talking about healthcare REITs, and you look at the top REITs, and they're all senior living, or uh, uh, what was the telehealth, or, you know, lab, lab and tech, I mean, they're very specific, you don't see a top REIT. That has all three, or four, or five different types. I mean, look at you know Prologis, which is one of the largest uh, industrial uh, companies, and really one of the largest real estate companies in the country. They're massive, and all they do is industrial. They don't look at office. They don't look at uh, hotels. So I mean, whenever we have an industrial site, Prologis is the first one that we call because one, we know exactly what they do. But two, we know that they're, they know what they're doing, right? They've done an industrial project before. So it really helps, especially if you're trying to get that recognition from a broker, because brokers have so many people calling them saying, Hey, I want to buy X. Okay. Well, everybody wants to buy X. But, you know, I, I'm trying to find something that has an 8% cash on cash return. Okay, well, what do you want to do? I'll, I'll do value add, I'll do development, I'll do new construction, I'll do this, I'll do that. It's like, okay, well, they're never going to, I'll never remember that. I get people asking me that kind of stuff all the time. And uh, yes, Evan, we are taking questions. I appreciate you asking. So yeah, uh, throw them out there. We're, we're answering them as they come. So you guys keep asking your questions. Um, so, you know, you think about uh, getting onto a broker's roster, you need to be very specific uh, about what you are looking for. Um, You know, there's a lot of guys in the multifamily world that uh, they'll say, Hey, you know, we want um, 100 to 150 units within five miles of a university uh, that was built after 1970. Uh, That's pretty damn specific, right? I mean, they get even more specific than that sometimes. But you think about that when that broker has something that comes across their desk it's like okay this is but this is in that criteria tyler's the guy to call or whoever because i mean that's that's obviously not my criteria but um, it really works well for the investor side because i get asked all the time by you know especially newcomer investors to commercial real estate how do i get in with the brokers because getting in with the brokers it's not as easy to find off-market deals on your own in commercial as it is in residential right? Like you could send a lot of letters and they'll go directly to the homeowner if you're if you're wholesaling residential or, do you're, or whatever you're doing there. Commercial is a much more complex process. So it's, it's easier to get in with somebody that is doing it full time. And, and a lot of brokers keep a very tight list of buyers, right? They have five to 10 people that they take every single project to first, because they know that, that those five to 10 people have a proven track record and they trust them and there's a good chance that they'll get a deal done. So uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's one way to look at it from the investment side as well.
1: I absolutely agree, Tyler. And, you know, focusing on your niche here is as an investor is not only good for obviously getting with the brokers, getting name recognition, getting your brand, but it's also good for your skills for your brain energy. You know, if you're looking at every single deal, you're not going to be as good as evaluating every single deal as if you only evaluated one certain type of deal. And I'll give you an example as a very small, easy, accessible example for you guys. I was looking this to buy essentially a multifamily property to quote unquote house hack, live in one side, rent out the other units, rent out the other rooms, right? And when I first started looking in January of this year, uh, I was looking. Okay, I will look at any multifamily within 45 minutes of Nashville, and then it became a lot. And I wasn't actually really getting a lot of stuff in come inbound to me, and it was hard to sit down and spend all my brain energy to go look at every single deal, every single place, because looking at a deal in Columbia. It's very different valuation from a deal in Spring In oh, well, Spring Hill is pretty close and in, in, you know, Henderson in in yeah. Hendersonville, right. So it's very different. I have to reset. I have to look at all the different comps again. I have to learn the new neighborhoods. It was too much. So then I said, okay, and as I've been working for Tyler, I said, I need to be within actually a 15 minutes drive of my office. Because I live in Franklin currently. I have to go up 45 minutes to the office. It would be better if I lived closer. It'd be, you know, I could be more productive and not waste time driving up and down. So that's you can come up with any reason, right, to niche down, but it will help you. And so then I could look only in a few areas in East Nashville and Madison. And my bandwidth became easier. I became to began to analyze those deals quicker. I began to see more of them, right? Because now I'm forgetting about Antioch. I don't look at Antioch. Forget about Spring Hill. Forget about Hendersonville. I'm only looking in like Madison, East Nashville, and like the Western Lane area. So I'm able to really nail down exactly what I want, evaluate those deals quickly. And I ended up, uh, after a long time of getting nothing, ended up actually getting two accepted offers on two properties on the same day. And that's because I decided to focus in on one thing that I could be good enough, good enough, evaluate those deals quick enough that I could and have the people who I was calling around say, hey, these are the types of deals that I want. They brought it to me. And I said, here we are. I, I wasn't able to find anything. All of a sudden, I found two, literally two signed contracts on the same day. So that's a very small example, right, of exactly what you can be doing in the commercial real estate investing sphere. Exactly as Tyler said, if you want to be in value-add apartments, maybe you're the, you're the guy who's not taking on the apartments after 1970s, so you're going to try to take on those harder projects because maybe people aren't targeting those. The, you know, 1950s to 1970s built and C-class apartment buildings that need some love, right? There are several groups in Nashville, big groups that only do essentially those that type of product, right? There's there's Freeman Webb does that Covenant Capital does that, right? I can name a couple guys who do that, because they are so focused in on doing that one type of product.
0: Yeah, I mean, when I first started uh, working both on the brokerage and on the investment side, when I started buying my own properties, I would look at anything that was an opportunity, right? So as a broker, I mean, I've got a listing, uh, you know, that's 45 minutes away, right? Like, I'll take something in Lebanon, because I I just need the listing, I need anything. And then there would be days where I'd be driving from Spring Hill, looking at a townhome development going out to Lebanon to meet with a retail developer. And if you're not familiar with Nashville, I mean, Spring Hill is 30 to 35 minutes south of Nashville, and then Lebanon's 35 to 45 minutes east of Nashville. So you think about how much time i was spending in the car and eventually i started you know getting enough business and kind of realizing what my niche was going to be and so i said you know what i'm going to focus on a 30 minute radius of downtown nashville i will not take anything else outside of that and then it eventually got to i mean i won't do anything without out uh, that's further than a 15 minute radius of my office now chattanooga is a is a that's a different beast right i mean that's we're, we're expanding into that market but in nashville I will not invest outside of a 15 minute radius of my office. Uh, We actually had a building that was barely outside of that. And after I decided, you know, 15 minute radius, that's it. We sold the building. Because I this to me is a lifestyle business. I don't want to be spending all day in the car. When When all of my meetings are in East Nashville, all of my properties are in East Nashville, it is so easy for me to drive past every single one of my properties every day to check in and see how things are going. And it takes me five minutes to get there. And to me, there, there's just, there's nothing better than that. Um, Evan's jumping in with this question. I'm 23, flipped three properties and have about $200,000 cash. That's awesome, Evan, well done. Um, I'm looking to buy a commercial property within the next year or so. With the way things are going with commercial, where should I put my focus? That's a wow. good question. I mean, I would, um, if you don't know specifically what type of commercial real estate you're interested in investing in, I would go find uh, a couple of different established commercial real estate investors within your area that you know, have a solid track record and consider investing with them. Uh, Instead of going and doing your own project, there are there's a lot of nuances that can come with doing a commercial project, whether that's value add, or just a lease up or even development. And I was with a group for four and a half years before I started doing my own projects. And it gave me the opportunity to learn on somebody else's dime and not lose a lot of money because I didn't know what I was doing. And so I always recommend that to people that are getting into commercial real estate, like do not dive out on your own. It's a very easy way to have a very expensive mistake. Uh, Whereas you can go and invest with somebody that has an excellent track record, make a solid return and learn along the way. Because that person that you're investing money with is now incentivized to show you the ropes right? You're an investor with them, I'm going to give you $50,000 or $100,000 on this project. But in return, you know, uh, and of course, with the returns, I want to be able to review the financials with you, I want to know the project, I want to see exactly how you're doing it, I want to be involved. I mean, you could even look at saying, hey, I'm gonna give you $100,000. And I want to work with you on this project, you know, do it for free, just because you're an investor. And that's probably one of the best ways to learn. I think, Commercial real estate is one of those um, industries where you can read all the books, you can listen to all the podcasts, you can watch all the YouTube shows, you can, uh, I mean, there's any number of things that you can do, right? And until you actually do your first project, you'll never know what it's like. And you'll always be afraid. Um, I did a case study on my very first project on this channel, actually. Um, I think it's labeled case study, if you want to go back and look in the archives. But I talked about that, right? But how I got my first project and how I was able to go about that, because uh, it it's nerve wracking until you've done the first one. I mean, there, it's it's just a bigger deal. It's there's more on the line. Um, but that's what I would do, Evan. Congrats on the three flips, man, and, and the cash pile. That's a, that's that's pretty outstanding. Not not many people have done that.
1: Yeah, man. That's Evan. I want to say, you know, reach out to me. Um, my my social handles are Gen Z rebuilds. I'm hoping to interview people who are young Gen Zers uh, who are in real estate who have doing cool things to try to inspire other youth to do that as well. So if you'd be interested, DM me on Instagram. I love to talk to you, man. But yeah, I'll <laughs> type that in the chat. Yeah, Tyler, you don't qualify as Gen Z. I'm sorry. You're you're an old millennial which might as well be a boomer to me.
0: Oh my Uh, gosh.
1: But Evan, I do want to say that as we're talking about finding outside groups, right? Finding someone to partner with. It is really, really, really important not to just go after the first person who will take you. I mean, with that money, you putting that money, a hundred grand, 200 grand, that's a lot of money, man.
0: Interview them.
1: you need to yeah I mean you're essentially you got to know this the, the person you're partnering with as much or more than if you're marrying them like that is because if a problem comes up when there's 200 grand on the line uh you know sometimes you're married to you marry someone there's not even that much money on the line and that's going to be a messy problem if you guys have you know come into you know some sort of at odds and You know when everyone's happy and everyone's you know getting along and you're drinking beers and you're hanging out you think "Ah, nothing this guy would never do me wrong you know this guy will always treat me right it doesn't always end up that way when when money is on the line and you also want to make sure they share your values too whatever it is you value in the type of project that you want to be doing what you want to be seeing how you want to be pushing you know the the real estate world forward. Right. Because it is, it is a project that is not just there to make money, right. You're having an impact on the community figure out, you know, is this person going to be someone I want to associate with even morally and ethically, because there are a lot of, you know, developers out there who get uh, a bad name. They're maybe pushy. They kind of break promises. And they might make a lot of money, but you don't necessarily want to be associating your first deal with them and getting branded and getting kind of blacklisted because you were on their list. And, you know, Tyler and I, we we can name some people who, you know, have kind of burned some bridges and kind of, you know, people don't want to necessarily do deals with them. And it would be unfortunate if you were to get in on your first deal right and associate them yourself with them so moral of the story is talk to as many people as you can and interview them in that space because it is very very important to find the right fit for you
0: yeah yeah that's awesome Evan you should take Andy up on that he's got a pretty pretty solid TikTok following um and uh and 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 I also think that it's just a good thing to be doing anyway right like I mean, I, I didn't realize that commercial real estate was an option when I was 18. You know, I never thought about that. And, and I got started when I was 21. I mean, I get I get asked by people who are like 15 and 16. Now how to get started in, in commercial real estate. I think that's so cool that that people now have an interest in it. So uh, that's, that's great. Y'all keep the questions coming. This is exactly why we do this show live. I love talking to you guys and answering your questions on commercial real estate. So feel free to jump in that chat box um, and keep that coming. Um, I'll give you guys an example uh, that happened just yesterday uh, as to how powerful having a niche can be when you're in commercial real estate. So uh, because we focus on East Nashville, a broker who is listing a property in East Nashville called me yesterday and said, hey, we're going to be listing this, this project over here. Uh, I think that you guys, you know, I think it's a fit for you guys if you want to take a look at it. Uh, we'll give you the first look and they gave me the first look we're putting an offer in on it before it hit the market because they knew that we're the east nashville guys and if anybody can pull that project together we will do it so think about that i mean now in in one of the hottest markets in the country where it's very difficult to find projects and you're often you know especially in residential you're going over asking on almost everything we get called before the property even hits the market and have the opportunity to, to take a look at it, put it under contract without any competition or without any deadline or anything like that. I mean, just for our investment business, the fact that one, we're not under stress to, to put a property under contract, but two, that usually works out being a better deal for everybody because the, the, the seller doesn't have to go through a whole lot um, on their side. I don't have to go through a whole lot on my side. Um, it just it makes the whole process easier. Paul's jumping in. Uh, looks like, love the show and all the content. Thank you. I want to get into real estate development and have one to one and a half million to invest. Paul, we're always taking on investors for our projects. If you want to give me a call, I'm more than happy to show you how you can spend that money. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're doing projects from commercial real estate development to adaptive reuse to, um, to stay. I mean, we're doing some stabilized triple net deals now. I mean, we're kind of all over the place. Um, if you're looking to just invest on your own, there's any number of projects uh, that, that I would recommend. You know, if you're, if you're wanting to do it on your own and it's your first project, I would I would definitely recommend bringing on a development partner that has some experience, uh, that has been there and done that before. You can hire developers third party; they don't necessarily have to be a partner. Um, they could help you go through the project. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to, um, uh, Paul, you can you can DM me on Instagram if you want to talk further about investing in, in our projects. Uh, happy to go over that with you. Just at Commercial in Nashville. Um, underscores in between the words is actually popping up right here (laughs) every now and then if you're watching on on YouTube Uh, looks like encounter him jumped in in the live chat as well new in real estate where do you start Uh, you find the numbers for properties you are wanting to develop for example a warehouse being turned into housing and small parking garage with a cafe mixed use so so I guess you're asking how do we find the numbers that is mostly Andy's job. So I'm going to let Andy uh, kind of kind of run with that because Andy, Andy started off as our analyst, he very quickly became the asset manager. So Andy, how do we find numbers for these projects?
1: How do we find numbers, Tyler? Well, for a project like that, it's complicated. The answer is like the let me give you the law, your answer. It depends, right? Um, for a project like that. So let's start with how we would find numbers for a normal project. So You know, it's really, you got to go out there, you got to get comps, and you got to ideally get some sort of, what you're looking for is construction cost information. And it's hard to get that sometimes. It's not super easily accessible information. And the only way to get it sometimes is to say, hey, let me say I want to buy an office building. How much would it cost, or I want to build an office building. How much would it cost to rebuild an office from the ground up? And they'll say, hey, you know, on a 20,000 square foot office building, it's going to cost you 175 bucks a foot for just the construction costs minus the land. Right. And then you might say, hey, how much does it cost to get a multifamily building in the downtown core? And they'll say 225 bucks a foot for construction costs minus the land. So that's kind of where you sometimes have to get to. You have to just get to the construction companies and say, what is going on? um because that's it's difficult it is difficult to know and those guys kind of have a handle of the pricing and pricing has changed actually a lot even compared to last year because of labor wood supply shortages all sorts of different problems that coronavirus has brought up so what things cost last year are radically different than what they cost today so that's i'd say one of the top ways to get it the other thing i would say for you When you're looking at developing a warehouse into housing, so you're going to have to try to treat that, I would say. So how I would go out and look at that deal? Let's say I have a warehouse; it has fifty thousand square feet. Okay, so then I would try to look at: okay, I want to turn this into housing. Well, let me go do some research on in within like a five-mile radius of this building. What are the typical unit mixes, unit types? How big are the units, right? How much are they renting for? And then let's figure out, okay, so this building here, they have a bunch of one bedroom and two bedroom apartments. The one bedroom apartments are 750 square feet. The two bedroom apartments are 1100 square feet. So maybe that's the type of product that I want to target and say, hey, I want to try to make sure that my rents are in line with what these other people are doing, right? You gotta look at what the market is currently attracting and that can help you determine what kind of stuff you can put in there. Then you say, okay, how many units can I fit in now? I have, what, what did I say? 20,000 square foot building and I have a 700 square foot unit, 20,000 divided by 700, whatever that is and however many units I can fit in. And then let's say you take off 20% of the building space for hallways and hvac units and all that kind of stuff common space then you can figure out this is how many units fit into this building right and you've looked around and you figure out this is how much i can rent each unit for you've called a couple construction guys and say hey how how much on a really really broad based level do you think it would cost to renovate an old warehouse and to new apartment units and they'll say i have no idea i'd have to go out look there to tell you i don't want to tell you and so you said okay but just come on give me a break here like on a high level very very high level if you were even building it ground up what would it cost and then you can if they say 150 bucks to build it ground up maybe you can discount that a few bucks a foot because you have some structure you have 100 maybe you say it's 120 bucks a foot and so these are the types of things that you would go in and kind of do for your analysis that I do when I'm looking at a project like that. And that's exactly pretty much how I underwrote the building that we're doing in Chattanooga, mm. right? We have some baseline construction pricing, that kind of very general ideas, right? And then we figured out based on circulation and square footage of the floor plates and looking at all the buildings that are around me, Right, because I have to come up with the vision on my own. And we have for for and when I say I it's like our team, right? We have to come up with a vision on our own because we don't have necessarily all the units built out. So we have to think, oh, this floor can fit six units, this floor can fit four, this floor should just to be office space. And looking at all those different things and figuring out what people are renting for and all the numbers are. It it is a it is a really it's a difficult job. It's, it's not easy. Uh, and this is why these projects take a long time, because you have to get good at it. And that's why, again, we're talking about promoting niching down. Because if you're focused on only one thing, you won't have to go back and call construction guys for the cost every single time. You won't have to go look up and research the rents in a certain neighborhood. You will know that off the top of your head. And that will allow you to go through and do those numbers and look at more deals much quicker.
0: Yeah, it makes a big difference when you're able to do that. I mean, when we look at projects, too, we know what we spent on construction in the last project and the project before that, right? So we get we get this historical data that allows us to guesstimate what we think it's going to be to a point where we feel comfortable putting it under contract. And then we'll go to the contractors and have them walk through and get us an actual bid. Sometimes we'll do that before It just depends on how tight the market is. Uh, But yeah, I mean, you've got to you got to bring the professionals in as far as numbers go on leasing or property management or something like that. We just call I mean, obviously, I've got a leasing and a property management team. So we handle all of that in house. Again, we have all the data. So we kind of have an unfair advantage when it comes to uh, to to buying these projects and properties. But uh, if you don't have that, I mean, call the local leasing teams and call the local property management company because um, they will have all of that data and they're going to want the job, right? So they'll be they'll be happy to share. Encounter him jumping in and saying uh, good points. Thanks. Absolutely. Anytime. Appreciate the question. Uh, let's see here. Ahmed is, is saying love the info. Really been super helpful. Glad, glad you're finding it helpful, man. We, we really appreciate that. We're having a lot of fun doing it. Uh, do you have any recommendations for a sample low income housing pro forma? I'd like to see the feasibility of a development, but don't know where to start. That's a great question. And I'm, I'm going to defer to Andy again, because he yeah. actually has underwritten um, low income housing before. Um, I mean, we we haven't done that at our company, because that is another niche within multifamily. Like if you're going to do low income housing, you're gonna do affordable housing, and you're go through, going to go through tax credits and stuff like that. I mean, it's a totally different style of, of investing. But Andy, talk, talk about low income housing and underwriting those projects.
1: Um. It- Great thing that you're looking into. I mean, this is what I wanted to do actually with my career. When I first started talking to Tyler, I remember uh, I was, I went into his office at the time and I told him, I want to work with affordable housing guys in Nashville. And he's like, well, there's only a few people who are doing that. And so you should go talk to this, this, this people and talking about a niche that was kind of my niche and how I was pitching myself to people originally. And you know what I like about what we're doing now with Tyler is that I'm kind of scratching that itch a little bit because in our micro units, I'm helping do affordable without having to wade into the tax credit stuff. And so the reason why it's so difficult to get affordable housing built is because there's not enough money for it from the government. It's, it, that's the reason. And the only way a lot of these projects work is through something called the Low Income Housing Tax Credit, also known as LIHTC. LIHTC is how they know it in the biz, this, the the jargon, the slang, right? It's LIHTC deals. And these are very competitive processes to get allocated this LIHTC funding. So Ahmed, if you wanted to do a LIHTC deal, uh, pretty much on your own, you couldn't. I'm not saying that to dissuade you, but it's because it goes through the state government and you have to submit a very long lengthy application because the state government only gets a certain amount of funding from the federal government to hand out in these high-tech deals, and then you have to usually have a proven track record. They're not going to give it to someone who's never done it before. And that's you know unfortunate and helps it prevents a lot of people from getting started but that's the way it is. So you would have to go find someone in your market who is doing these light tech deals and partner up with them. That's what you would wanna do. And otherwise underwriting a light tech deal is at the end of the day, not too different from underwriting a typical multifamily deal, right? If you can underwrite a typical multifamily deal, you just have lower rents, but your cost of capital is also lower, right? So those things kind of cancel out because on a LIHTC deal, you are typically, how it works is that a certain amount of your units have to be at 80% of area median income, which is something that you can look up online. Ooh. And so it's, it's usually something like 80% of your units are at 80% area median income, or at least 60% of your units are at you know, 60% area median income, and then the average of your units have to be at 80% area median income after that. There's a lot of different qualifications anyway, it becomes complicated, right? But you're trying to figure out okay, what are the types of rents I can charge based on these formulas and calculations? Is the free money essentially that I'm getting from the government to put into this deal, is that going to allow me to make that project work? And so I would go look for some just typical multifamily models online. And hopefully you can talk to some of these guys who are doing affordable housing in your area and say, I really want to get in on this. I would love to develop on this. It's like I'm out here on my spare time watching YouTube videos about how to (laughs) develop real estate here, because this is what I'm passionate about. Go out there and see if you can't connect with those guys, because that's what I tried to do and uh, almost ended up working with with one of them before uh, before Tyler poached me away. So. Uh, that's what I would do, Almond.
0: Um. That's right. Yeah. I uh, I mean, whenever we look at in doing any sort of uh, low-income housing, I always call my buddies that do that. Um, and I let them roll with it because it is a very competitive process. There's very, like as Andy was saying, there's very limited money um, and, and tax credits that can actually go towards these projects. And so it's tough. I mean, there's a couple, there's, the you know, the companies that specialize in it, they'll win almost every time. Uh, because they've been doing it for years, and so it's easier to either partner with those groups or to go work with them uh, than it is to really do a startup uh, for you know low-income housing. Now, not saying that you can't do it, but um, it's uh, it's definitely tough. Uh, not a problem at all, Ahmed. Um, happy happy to help, Andy. Anything else you want to dive into on niching? By the way, guys, if you're watching live. Uh, we will keep, we will stay live as long as y'all keep asking questions. We'll keep answering them. Uh, we're, you know, having fun doing that, but Andy, anything else on niching that you want to talk about? I do want to
1: touch briefly on, on exactly what you said, Ahmed, though, about wanting to work in that and how competitive it is. I mentioned it briefly, but you know, what we're doing with our micro units is that we're providing affordable space. people, not just for residents, for renters, but also for businesses and startups and entrepreneurs without needing to go through the government process. And not to say that I'm anti the government money that's being handed out. I think there should be more of it. But because it is so competitive, because it can slow you down, because it can bridge and box people out, sometimes you can't get that done. So we're looking at these afford, these Um, micro unit developments that we're doing like our wash concept our food hall concept the provisionary what we're doing in Newell Tower in Chattanooga you know we can provide very affordable spaces for people to live work you know start a business and not have to worry about that kind of stuff so that is a, a a great niche that we have found kind of tying back in everything that we've talked about underserved populations and underserved communities and we're doing a kind of a little bit of outside-the-box thinking of how do we make sure the space is well amenitized and we're making good use of our space and also creating shared spaces for other people that when people are coming in, you know, it's, yeah, the space is a little bit smaller, but it's just as functional as a bigger space. And we're allowing you to get started, get it started as a restaurant, get started as a startup tech firm, startup law firm, whatever it is. And that's something, you know, very cool that I think that, you know, a lot of other people could get into as well.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's a great niche, right? I mean, there's that in between space that isn't really served because the big guys don't really want to take the time to develop space for the small guys. And that leaves a bunch of opportunity, right? So think about it. If you're starting a business, you're either working from home or from a coffee shop to start out with, right? And then once you start making money, you'll probably move into a co-working space. But you can't really stay in co-working space forever. But what if you want to kind of stay a smaller firm, but you need a little more of a professional presence, right? It's, you can't really get that out of a co-working space. You're going to have to get your own space. Well, most office spaces are 1,000, 2,000 square feet starting, right? So, you know, by providing 150 square foot private offices, we're actually, you know, serving this market need. And and we created a niche for ourselves. Um, And it does very well. And by having these micro units by having these units naturally smaller, we can charge higher prices per square foot, which is great for us. Overall, it costs them less, right? Because if you're if you're renting, we were talking about doing some 400 square foot apartment units at $3 a foot, that's $1,200 a month, right? In Nashville the average uh, the average apartment rent is about $1.87 a foot in East Nashville um, and so you look at that say you know you, but, but the average square footage is like 750 square feet give or take so you're actually you're paying more right you're paying almost $1, 14 1500 a month um, so you think about that for a couple two three hundred bucks a month less which can really add up for some people you can get just as nice of a space it just happens to be a little bit smaller. Paul said, uh, new business owners need the least amount of overhead as possible to prove their concept. That's absolutely right. It's exactly right. I mean, and signing a long-term lease and committing to all of that overhead is, it's so, it's just, it's unnecessary. I mean, here at our office, we've got, I don't know, I've got nine employees now. We've got six or seven working out of the office at any given time. And we're in like a thousand square feet. I mean, we're, you know, we're not packed in here, but we're also not really spread out. I mean, we, we like to keep our overhead low. I mean, I think, that, I think that's very important for a company to do when they're first starting out.
1: Tyler likes to talk about how there's not only an affordability crisis in housing, which you know, I'm passionate about. I think a lot of people here are probably passionate about in the chat, but there's an affordability crisis in the office and retail space as well. For those startup businesses, it is hard for them to get started. And just like there's this concept of missing middle housing, where you have things that are in between the single family home and the giant multi-story apartment building. You have the triplexes and duplexes of the world, right? Townhomes of the world. There's kind of what we're what we're coining here. And I don't think I've ever heard this term used before, is kind of like missing middle office and retail space. And I think that's a very cool opportunity for people to be going after exactly as Tyler said, because that's going to be a need that will be needed needed to be served until the end of time. There's always going to be people who need to try to figure out their business with, as Paul said, as little overhead as possible, but also maintaining potentially a professional presence. And it's going to be a, a great opportunity, I think, going forward here especially as we talk about in our um, commercial real estate investor weekly live show, every Monday, we talk about what the future of real estate is going to look like. And we had a very good article, maybe a month, a month and a half ago now, talking about how the future of office leasing, especially is going to be focused on flexibility. The office space is going to no longer, they're not going to survive if every time you have to go in and sign a 10-year commitment, right? Businesses don't want to do that. The world changes way too fast to sign a 10-year commitment to a giant office lease or a 15-year commitment, Um, especially like these tech startups, you know, a Square or a, Google or Microsoft might say, let's have half our workforce work from home, but uh, I'm sorry, I think Square and Twitter are doing that. But then you have Google saying, I actually want everybody to come in. And, you know, there's a lot of flexibility there. So the point being said is that business owners are gonna need to provide flexibility for their tenants. And so that's gonna come in more flexible lease terms right more flexible actual spaces for them to rent and all of the above and so that's kind of where this is where the future of real estate is going
0: that's exactly it encounter him is saying you guys totally need a partnership here in san diego i've had the same vision uh to do something similar connecting with small business startups and creating space they can be sent to start uh, hey, I mean, we're always open to expanding into other markets our, if you if you haven't seen our wash concept, the wash that we're doing, uh, it is actually a uh, car wash conversion into micro restaurants. We're talking to a you know, handful of groups about actually doing that in other states um, and partnering with them on it. So, you know, if you've got a project and you'd like to pick our brains on it, I mean, we're, we're happy to partner on it. We're happy to consult on it. Uh, we're ha- I'm happy to just give you 15 minutes of my time. Um, if, if you need it, cause we, we just, I love doing this. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Um, Andy, well, we covered just about everything about niching down in commercial real estate. I hope you guys really enjoyed that. Um, and not only see how you can go about doing it, but really understand the power. I mean, that has, it's brought us to where we are today. It's how, honestly, how we get a lot of our deal flow is because we decided to niche down, Um, so if y'all are uh, interested in any underwriting we've started a new live wednesdays at 5 30 p.m central standard so we will be going live tomorrow at 5 30 p.m andy and i uh, to underwrite an investment opportunity so we're going to show you guys how we do that and go through that process uh, so that y'all can understand too i mean one how to underwrite but also these are active deals so if you're looking to invest in projects these deals are available and on the market Um, And we're happy to talk about that. So uh, hopefully we will see you guys there tomorrow. Keep uh, joining us every Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. Central Standard. And we will see you next week.